1: Winbet is now live in all of these states and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, Winbet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free thousand dollar sports bet. Download the Winbet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. And away we go, episode 187 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, November 15th, 2021. It is for the first time in a month and a half a victory Monday in the nation's capital. As the heavy metal band Kicks sang many years ago, sometimes you're out sometimes you're in, sometimes you lose, but sometimes you win. Well, my friends, the Washington football team won on Sunday afternoon, pulled off a shocker, a 29-19 win over Tom Brady and the reigning defending Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Washington had no business winning this game. Not with Brady and the Bucs having the season that they had been having. Not with Washington's defense having had the season that the defense had been having. Not with Montez Sweat now out for that defense. Not with Chase Young suffering this apparent torn ACL in the second quarter. Not with Taylor Heineke having not been good during Washington's four-game losing streak. And yet, and yet, Washington won. Welcome to a special Washington football team post-game show installment of the Al Galdi podcast. It is great to have you with us. There is so much to talk about. Not all of it is good. I mean, look, this Chase Young situation is very troubling that he appears to have suffered a season-ending torn ACL. That is a horrendous development. Like, I don't want to minimize that. It also appears as if Ryan Fitzpatrick is, in fact, done for the season. Brandon Sheriff may be injured again. So, no, it's not all roses. But you know what? It's nice to win. It's nice to know that this Washington football team season is not a complete disaster. It's nice to feel like maybe just maybe Ron Rivera does have this program going in the right direction. In fact, let's listen in on Ron's post-game locker room speech. Ron was in rare form via this post-game locker room speech. Ron Rivera, the head coach in Washington's coach-centric approach. The Don of the Washington football team family. Don Ron, as I like to call him. He was feeling himself, okay? He was feeling himself. He was feeling his team off this win. You got to watch the video if you haven't yet seen it, but the audio is plenty good. Here you go.
0: that tells me what you guys are capable of. You just measured yourself to Goliath all right you just measured yourself and you found out who you are and what you're capable of i'll tell you what i've been waiting to say this to you victory monday Ah! Hey, don't get full of ourselves. Learn from this event. Learn from what we did today. Let's get better. All right, here we go. Team on three. One, two, three. Team.
1: I love it. I love that jubilation. We have had such little joy with this Washington football team this season. We have had so little to celebrate with this Washington football team this season. To have something to get excited about is nice. And I know that it may mean nothing in the big picture. I know, in fact, it may be that Washington is better off losing down the stretch of this season. But can we please just enjoy this for a little while? Please, can we enjoy something with this Washington football team season this season? I love that clip. Don Ron all fired up inside Washington's locker room after the win. His players all fired up. Inside Washington's locker room after the win. Next segment: the front five. My five biggest takeaways off the stunning, shocking, out of nowhere Washington win over the Bucks. Although this is the NFL, and there have been a number of surprising results in recent weeks, including one for Washington's next opponent on Sunday: the four and five Carolina Panthers winning at the eight and one Arizona Cardinals, thirty-four. 10. Cam Newton back with the Panthers. P.J. Walker doing his thing as the Panthers starting quarterback. Uh, Yeah, this is not going to be an easy game at all for Washington at the Panthers this Sunday afternoon at 1. But like I said, can we please enjoy this Washington win over Brady and the Bucks at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon? I have many thoughts on the Washington football team and this win beyond those in the front five. So prepare yourself for a lot of content coming up here on the Washington football team. I'm going to get into everything, whether you should be happy that Washington won the Chase Young injury, Taylor Heineke's excellent performance, the Washington defense finally having a good game this season, uh, the heroics of people like Antonio Gibson and Terry McLaurin, and DeAndre Carter, and Joey Sly, uh, the Ryan Fitzpatrick situation, we had news on Fitzpatrick on Sunday morning, and much more. Uh, also, we have a lot to get into in terms of other things that happened over the weekend. I'll talk Capitals, great weekend for them, including a 6-1 blowout of the Pittsburgh Penguins at Capital One Arena on Sunday night. I'll talk Wizards, good weekend for them. They won at the Orlando Magic on Saturday night despite being without Bradley Beal. We have college football to talk about. A loss for Maryland at Michigan State. A loss for Virginia at home to Notre Dame. But a win for Virginia Tech over lowly Duke. Uh, I'll talk college basketball, too. Both Maryland and Georgetown got tested on Saturday afternoon. The Terrapins passed their test in beating Vermont in College Park. The Hoyas, though, did not pass their test in losing to Dartmouth at Capital One Arena. Before we move any further, rest in peace Sam Huff. Uh the legendary former Washington linebacker, the legendary former Washington radio analyst, the Pro Football Hall of Famer Sam Huff on Saturday dying at the age of 87. He had been battling dementia. I'll be doing more on Sam on this podcast later this week because his passing deserves a proper segment, but Sam Huff was an all-time great linebacker, and for many of us, including myself, he was part of the soundtrack of the greatest era in Redskins history. Sonny Jurgensen, Sam Huff, and Frank Herzog calling Redskins games on the radio in the glory days of the 1980s and early 90s. As great of a player as Sam Huff was, I'm guessing for most people in this area, It's Sam's radio work and him being a part of the Sonny, Sam, and Frank radio team calling Skins games for which Sam will be most remembered. A friendly reminder, if you have some time to kill, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give this podcast a five-star rating if you haven't yet done that. And please write just like a one or two-sentence review saying how much you like the podcast if you haven't yet Done that. Uh, the five star ratings. The reviews help out a lot. And you can, you know, do those things right now if you haven't yet done them. You know, just hit pause on your iPhone or iPad and uh, give the five-star rating. Type up the review. Again, it doesn't take much time, didn't cost you anything. And I thank you very much for doing those things. I mean that. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at Yahoo.com. I always enjoy your comments on whatever it is I have to say. I always enjoy what you have to say about the podcast. If you have critiques of the pod, I'm always open to criticism. This is not perfect by any means. We strive for perfection. I don't know if we'll ever get there, but we keep trying. Uh, Lots of feedback, though, on the Washington football team off this win over the Bucks. Email from Stanley. Right, Stanley. Ron Rivera has talked about maturity all year long, and the maturity definitely showed in a great way. Terry McLaurin came back from injury and proved why he should be a top 100 player. Cole Beasley, what a joke the backups played their butts off. We still need a franchise quarterback and still need pieces, obviously. But the greatest sign to me is they are fighting for Coach Ron. And it showed on the first drive of the game by the defense. Great performance and the best win at home in Ron's tenure. Agree. Question mark. Uh, yes, Stanley, I do agree. Not that there are a lot of other major contenders for best home win for Washington in the Ron Rivera era. But yes, this would be the biggest home win for Washington in the Ron Rivera era. Maybe the biggest win period in the Ron Rivera era. I mean, this to me is the second signature win. The first was the win at the then 11-0 and Pittsburgh Steelers last December. Email from Jim D writes, Jim, well, I suppose the spirit of Sam Huff was with us in this one. Very impressive win for the WFT. I just hope that Chase Young will be okay. Today reminds me a lot of the Green Bay game on Sunday Night Football during the 2016 season when Kirk Cousins and the offense avenged their playoff loss, much like Taylor Heineke and company avenged their own playoff loss in this game. I'd say that that is a pretty interesting parallel. Yes, I know that this will affect our standings in the race for the tank, but I don't know. Sometimes it's just nice to win one. Agreed, Jim. Uh, that win over the Packers in 2016 was the famous how you like me now game, right? It was after that game that Kirk famously yelled at Scott McLuhan, how you like me now? How do you like me now? How do you like me now? Yes, Kirk, how you like me now? Taylor Heineke could have been yelling that after the win on Sunday. Email from Mike P on Taylor Heineke writes, Mike, just when a lot of fans start talking quarterback of the future, seemingly giving up on Taylor Heineke, Taylor Heineke goes out and performs like this. I get it. He's inconsistent, but there's something about his play that when he's on, always gives me a feeling we are in the game. Gotta respect The man's heart. Uh, Yes, you do, Mike. Sunday was a bad day for the Taylor Heineke deniers, the Taylor Heineke haters, the Tay-Tay haters, the daters, as I like to call them. You know, big last few days for people named Tay-Tay. First Taylor Swift, now Taylor Heineke. Yeah, things are going well these days for people named Tay-Tay. We always hope that things are going well in your life. But we know that it's not always the case that things are going well in your life. Bad things happen. And I want to tell you about a law firm that is ready to represent you if you've been wronged. Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. The services of Paulson and Nace are available in D.C., Maryland, and West Virginia. You see, Paulson and Nace is a family law firm. The Naces are DMV through and through Big Washington football team fans, Paulson and Nace has decades of experience trying cases to jury verdicts and fighting for those injured through no fault of their own. Barry Nace and Chris Nace are both past presidents of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers and has just tried two cases in D.C. Look, I've known the Naces for 25 plus years. These are good people and smart people who are excellent at what they do. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. It's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. Make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi Sanchez scheduled a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let their family Take care of yours. All right, time now for the front five. My five biggest takeaways from the Washington football team improving to three and six with this 29 19 win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. I still can't believe that Washington won this game. And so that brings us to takeaway number one, which is it's okay. That Washington won this game. I get the angst over Washington having won this game. I get the idea that this Washington football team season is almost certainly going nowhere from a postseason contending standpoint. And Washington needs a franchise quarterback, and the most realistic path to a franchise quarterback is the NFL draft. And the higher the first round pick in the draft, the better for Washington when it comes to getting. franchise quarterback. Trust me, I get all of that. Few people will advocate harder for tanking when appropriate than yours truly. However, if Washington was to have lost all of its remaining nine games this regular season, that would have almost certainly meant that there were issues on this team well beyond quarterback. Heck, we know that there are issues on this team beyond quarterback, but exactly how many issues there are and exactly how deep those issues run are to be determined. But if Washington wins at least some games down the stretch and principal reasons for those wins are young players doing well and getting better and this team not being as bad as it was during its two and six start, then that is a sign that things aren't as bad with our team as we thought. And that's a good thing. Take, for example, this stunning win over the Bucks. So a Washington defense that had been a big flop this season actually played well. What if this Washington defense plays well the rest of the season? Forget about whether you think that's going to happen. Just for argument's sake, pretend like that does happen. Would that not mean that the defense, maybe, possibly, isn't as bad as we thought? And would that not be a good thing? If the defense is bad for the rest of the season, then this offseason isn't just about quarterback. It's also about what to do about this defense, a defense into which, right, Washington has poured in many a resource. But if the defense plays well the rest of the season, then maybe there's not nearly as much work to do with the defense as we thought there might be. Look, nothing matters more than quarterback. I totally get that and am on board with that. But consider this too, if you are among those who want Washington to try to lure a disgruntled veteran franchise quarterback this coming offseason, a la Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson. Uh, Then Washington playing well the rest of the season helps to make Washington a more attractive destination for one or more of those guys. Now, personally, I'm not optimistic at all on any of those guys wanting to come here. But if you think that it's possible that one or more of those guys may want to come here, or you think that there could be another good quarterback who becomes available because you never know who's going to become available, then Washington, looking like a team on the rise and being a team that played well in the second half of the team's 2021 regular season, has value. My overall point is this. It's not an absolute must that Washington needs to lose as many games as possible the rest of this season. That outlook can change. Okay, Let's see what happens moving forward here. And yes, maybe ultimately Washington losing as many games as possible the rest of this season is what is best for the franchise. Like, I think that is very much a possibility, but it's not something that's definite, especially by the way, if you don't buy into any of the quarterbacks in the 2022 NFL draft being franchise quarterbacks. So if you feel good about this win over the Bucks, that's okay. It's okay to feel good about this win. Takeaway number two, even. In a win, as glorious as this win over the Bucks, Washington still had a major negative development. Chase Young appears to have suffered a season-ending torn ACL. Why is it that we as Washington fans can never just enjoy something? Why is it that every time something good happens, something bad must also happen? This has happened so many times over the years. One of the more glaring examples of this to me was in March 2012. Some of you may remember this. March 2012, right after Washington agreed on the big trade-up with the then St. Louis Rams in the 2012 NFL Draft for the number two overall pick, we learned of the salary cap penalty. Remember that? The euphoria in March 2012 over Washington trading up in the 2012 NFL draft to get a franchise quarterback was lessened by the news of this bizarro salary cap penalty. So we had this exciting, adrenaline-inducing news of Washington is trading up for the number two overall pick. And then it felt like five seconds later, yeah, but the team is getting docked a bunch of salary cap space over the next few years uh earlier this season we had the win at the atlanta falcons in week 4 that win was on sunday october 3rd do you know what happened on monday october 4th we had the breaking news of the ryan vermillion situation yeah that washington's director of sports medicine and head athletic trainer ryan vermillion had been placed on administrative leave for what the team called an ongoing criminal investigation unrelated to the team. Uh, This was due to the DEA and the Loudoun County Sheriff's Department the previous Friday, October 1st, having conducted searches at Washington's practice facility and at Vermillion's residence. You know, not that this Washington win at the Falcons was like winning the Super Bowl, but it was a Washington win. Washington was two and two. It was a victory Monday in the nation's capital. And then bam, this Ryan Vermillion situation, pops up. Every time something good happens with the team currently known as the Washington football team, something bad must also happen. And this happened again on Sunday, on a day on which Washington knocked off Tom Brady and the reigning defending Super Bowl champion Bucks. Washington's biggest star suffered what appears to be a torn ACL. Chase Young in the second quarter suffered what is believed to be a torn ACL. ACL. On a third and two for the Bucks at the Washington 11, Chase got injured in rushing Tom Brady on his three-yard shotgun completion to running back Leonard Fournette for a first down. A cart came out for Chase. He refused the cart and instead walked off the field with the help of trainers. Good for Chase for doing that. I'm not sure that that's recommended by most orthopedists, but you know what? If that's the kind of thing that Chase felt that he needed to do, I can respect that. And more power to him. Now, Chase Young did speak to the team at the half. Uh, That word has made the rounds and apparently helped to fire up his teammates. Good for Chase. Uh, Chase did return to the Washington sideline on crutches. Seemed to be in good spirits. You know, I think psychologically seeing him back on the sideline there and seemingly being in good spirits uh, couldn't have hurt Washington in its attempt to win this game. But make no mistake, this is an awful, terrible development. Chase Young suffering this apparent torn ACL. And maybe even more than that. We don't know. Because remember, when an athlete tears a knee and suffers a torn ACL, it's not always just a torn ACL. Did he tear any of the other CLs? The LCL? The MCL? Uh, Is there nerve damage? Like, you just don't know with something like this. Hopefully, it's a torn ACL and nothing more. But we just don't know. On something like that. But yes, it does appear as if Chase Young is done for the season. Tweet on Sunday afternoon from Ian Rappaport, NFL insider for NFL Network and NFL.com. Quote, the initial fear for Washington defensive end Chase Young is a torn ACL source said the team is awaiting a full battery of tests. But if the diagnosis is confirmed, that would, of course, knock him out. For the season, tweet on Sunday afternoon from ESPN NFL insider Jeremy Fowler, quote, Washington believes Chase Young has torn his ACL source, confirms tests coming, tough deal for defensive cornerstone, end quote. Tweet on Sunday afternoon from Washington football team insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington, quote, been told ACL injury for Chase Young, won't know for sure until tomorrow, but feeling is, it's significant, and he's done for the season End quote. There's very little apparent wiggle room right now of, well, maybe possibly this isn't what we think that it is. No, this appears to be what we think that it is, a torn ACL. And like I said, maybe more. Uh, I feel really bad for Chase Young. I wish Chase Young nothing but the best. Whatever lack of production he has had this season and whatever the reasons for that lack of production, we all want him to be great, you know? Everyone is on the same page in terms of that, wanting Chase Young to kill it, wanting Chase Young to conquer as a Washington football team edge rusher. It's crazy to me that Chase ends up suffering this badly injured knee off the events of the last few weeks. You know, this game taking place off Rodden Rivera having been very open publicly about Chase's struggles this season, and then Chase conducting that post-practice press conference last Thursday, uh, calling his critics haters, Saying regarding having skipped OTA practices this past off season to shoot various commercials and also shoot an episode of Family Feud, quote, "I was making money, baby. Got to make that money. None of y'all would have ducked the money. At the end of the day, it's a job. You feel me? Just like y'all do your job, I do my job." End quote. And now he's done for the season. You know there was so much Chase Young talk going into this game. This set up as like the perfect spot for Chase Young to bust out and kill it this season, and instead his season ends up ending. It's a front five. My five biggest takeaways off the Washington football team improving to three and six with a 29-19 win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Takeaway number three, Taylor Heineke was outstanding and outplayed Tom Brady. It sounds nuts, but if you watch the game, you know that it be true that Taylor Heineke outplayed Tom Brady. Taylor Heineke on Sunday made his ninth start regular season and postseason as a Washington quarterback, made his 10th start regular season and postseason as an NFL quarterback, and he was outstanding. And again, he outplayed Tom Brady. Taylor Heineke quarterback to Washington offense that went 11 of 19 on third downs, went two of two on fourth downs, And scored on six of nine drives. Now Washington did go just two of four in the red zone, but two of four is better than zero of four. So we consider two of four progress in these parts, given how bad Washington's red zone offense had been. Remember, Washington during its now concluded four-game losing streak, a mere two of eleven inside the red zone. Uh, Heineke in this win over the Bucks on Sunday completed 26 of his. 32 pass attempts, 26 out of 32. That works out to a completion percentage of 81.25. And that doesn't include two drops by Washington pass catchers. He really should have been 28 of 32. Uh, Heineke threw for 256 yards on his 32 pass attempts. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of eight, which is really good. Uh, Heineke had one touchdown pass versus no turnovers. Heineke had three carries. For 15 yards. This was Taylor Heineke's first truly good game since the win at the Falcons in week four. It had been a while since Taylor Heineke had truly had a good game. He had either been mixed or just bad over these previous four games. And of course, Heineke's play having dipped down coincided with Washington having lost four consecutive games. It's not a coincidence that Heineke gets back to playing really well and Washington gets back to winning. And so for those of you wanting Taylor Heineke to get benched, sorry, uh, it's going to be a little while longer, uh, at least, especially given what's going on with Ryan Fitzpatrick. More on that next segment. But Heineke was great on Sunday. He and Washington's final drive was masterful. And what a drive this was. Washington's ninth offensive drive, a mammoth 19 play 80 yard drive that consumed an absurd 10 minutes, 26 seconds off the clock, Up until that point in this 2021 NFL regular season, that was the longest drive in the NFL this season in terms of time consumed off the clock. Again, 10 minutes, 26 seconds. That is ridiculous. The drive resulted in Antonio Gibson's fourth and goal, one-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run with 29 seconds left in the fourth quarter for a 29-19 lead. The strategy here by Ron Rivera, I thought was really smart, because going forward on that fourth and goal at the one made all the sense in the world. If you get the touchdown, you basically have nailed the coffin shut on the Bucks. If you don't get the touchdown, then you're telling the Bucks, well, hey, you can win this game, but you got to go 99 yards with less than a minute to go. And given the way that Washington's defense is playing, That was actually a proposition that you felt like you could win from a Washington perspective. And then the other part of the strategy with all this was what Washington then did after scoring the touchdown. Taylor Heineke simply took a knee on a two-point conversion attempt so as to not risk a run back by the Bucs on the two-point conversion attempt. A run back would have cut Washington's lead to 29-21. That was a really smart tactic employed there by Washington. But Heineke on this drive, third snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a third and two, three-yard shotgun scramble. Four snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke a first and 10, 16-yard shotgun play action completion to Terry McLaurin on a screen. 12th snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke a third and four, five-yard shotgun completion to Adam Humphreys. 14th snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke a second and 11, six-yard shotgun completion to Antonio Gibson, despite Heineke taking a shot from linebacker Devin White, who was all over the place in this game. Remember, Devin White did not play in Washington's loss to the Bucks at FedEx Field in the wild card round last NFL postseason. A lot of the Taylor Haneke deniers, Taylor Haneke haters, the Tate haters, the haters, have used Devin White having not played in that playoff game as a reason to throw shade on Taylor Heineke's performance in that game. Well, Devin White didn't play, and Washington lost that game. Devin White did play on Sunday, and Washington won that game. So no more about Devin White, but he was good on Sunday. I'm not giving the guy full credit. He was everywhere. But anyway, that completion, Heineke to Gibson on the second and 11 six-yard connection— On Washington's Mammoth Drive. That completion forced the Bucs to burn the third and final second half timeout with 305 left in the fourth quarter. So, yeah, that completion was not for first down, but that was a key completion on the drive and in the game. And then on the 15th snap of the 19 play drive, Taylor Heineke, a third and five, six yard shotgun completion to Terry McLaurin, who made an outstanding catch despite taking a vicious shot from safety. Jordan Whitehead. Uh, how about the drive that resulted in Heineke's touchdown pass? Washington's third offensive drive started at the Bucs 46 off Bobby McCain's first quarter interception of Tom Brady, resulted in Taylor Heineke's second quarter, third and six, 20 yard shotgun touchdown pass to DeAndre Carter, who beat corner D Delaney on a perfect pass by Heineke. You know, you want to talk about Taylor Heineke's accuracy. It's not always great, I'll admit to that, but man, was that pinpoint accuracy. On that pass to Carter for the touchdown. Ensuing extra point gave Washington a 13 0 lead. Third snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, late first quarter, third and seven, eight yard shotgun completion to Antonio Gibson to beat the blitz. Sixth snap of the drive, in the first snap of the second quarter, Taylor Heineke, third and 14, 11 yard shotgun completion. To J.D. McKissick, who made corner Jamel Dean miss on an attempted tackle. Really nice run after the catch by McKissick. And then on the next snap, the seventh snap of the drive, the second snap of the second quarter, Taylor Haneke, a fourth and three, four-yard shotgun completion to J.D. McKissick. Two huge fourth-down conversions for Washington in this game. And Heineke had a number of other big throws slash moments in this game. Washington's seventh offensive drive resulted in Antonio Gibson's third quarter first and goal one-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run on which Washington's offensive line pushed like crazy in a second effort for the touchdown. ensuing extra point gave Washington a 23-13 lead. First snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke a first and 10 under center play action boot, 15-yard completion, to Dax Milne. Fourth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a third and four, 18-yard completion to John Bates. uh, Washington's fourth offensive drive resulted in Joey Sly's 29-yard field goal with 58 seconds left in the second quarter for a 16-3 Washington lead. First snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, first and 10, 22-yard shotgun play action completion to DeAndre Carter. And this was one of those plays on which you said to yourself, you know what, this just seems to be Taylor Heineke's day, if you remember this play. Again, first and 10, 22-yard hookup with DeAndre Carter. This happened on a pass that went off the hands of Buck safety Jordan Whitehead and right to Carter. Again, sometimes better to be lucky than good. It's not like the pass from Heineke was awful, but there was a bit of puck luck on this completion, no doubt. Uh, seven snap of the drop, Taylor Heineke, a third and eight, and nine-yard shotgun completion to Ricky Seals-Jones. Tenth snap of the drive and the final snap prior to the first half two-minute warning. Taylor Heineke, how about this? Using a hard count to induce a third and two five-yard neutral zone infraction penalty on interior defensive lineman William Goldston. Heineke and Washington were so good on third downs in this game. Uh, Washington's first offensive drive resulted in Joey Sly's first quarter 46-yard field goal for a 3-0 Washington lead. Uh, the second snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke a second and nine, eight-yard shotgun completion to Terry McLaurin. the fourth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke a first and 10, 14-yard shotgun completion to to DeAndre Carter, Washington's second offensive drive started at the Bucks' 28 off William Jackson III's first quarter interception of Tom Brady. Resulted in Joey Sly's first quarter 28-yard field goal for a 6-0 Washington lead, which incredibly matched Washington's largest lead of the season up until that point. Yeah, Washington being up 6-0 in the first quarter of this game matched Washington's largest lead of this season. Up until that point, Uh, we had on this drive the third snap, Taylor Heineke, a third and 11, 13 yard shotgun completion to Ricky Seals Jones. Sixth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a third and 14, 10 yard shotgun scramble to at least improve Washington's field position for a field goal attempt. Heineke in this game was clutch. Heineke in this game was accurate. Heineke in this game was tough. He was pressured a bunch. Heineke in this game. Was productive. Uh, No, that doesn't mean that he was perfect. You know, he was off on some throws. He did take five sacks, and while some of the sacks were unavoidable, uh, some of the sacks were avoidable. What comes to my mind is the second snap of Washington's sixth offensive drive. The drive resulted in a third quarter three and out, but on a second and nine at the Washington nine, Taylor Heineke had a good bit of time, but ended up taking a sack by interior defensive lineman Indominic and Sue for a seven yard loss, giving Washington a third and 16 at the teams too. You can't take that sack in that spot. So I'm not telling you that Taylor Heineke pitched a perfect game. What I am telling you is that he played really well. And okay, it doesn't mean that he's a franchise quarterback of the future. Don't get sucked into that conversation all the time with Taylor Heineke. You know, it's okay to just say, you know what, he did a really good job on Sunday. Like if we're just evaluating Heineke's performance in this game, give him credit. He came through and if nothing else with Taylor Heineke, Washington in him has a good QB2 with whom you can win as a QB1 if need be. Well, do you need or at least want to grow a business that you own, run, or work for? Uh, Do you want to reel in new customers for your business? Do you want to spread awareness of your business? Do you want to set up a website for your business but don't know where to start? Well, you can put Imageworks to work for you. Imageworks is a full-service boutique web design branding and marketing company. Imageworks is located in Washington, D.C. and Northern Virginia, but serves the entire country. So if you're listening in, say, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, New York, Florida, even California, Imageworks can help you. For more than two decades, Imageworks has stood for creating great brands and providing custom marketing solutions. But Imageworks is more than a branding and marketing firm. Imageworks is your collaborative partner, your one-stop shop for business growth. Imageworks clients range from startups and small and mid-sized businesses to global enterprises and government contractors. Imageworks has a complete team of in-house designers, marketers, developers, art directors, strategists, and writers. You can put any or all of them to work for you by calling 703-378-0000 or by going to imageworkscreative.com and clicking on contact near the upper right corner. When you call or contact, make sure that you mention the Algaldi Podcast because doing so will get you a free homepage search engine optimization and conversion review. That phone number again is 703-378-0000. Or go to ImageWorksCreative.com and click on contact near the upper right corner and make sure that you mention the Algaldi podcast. ImageWorks, creative minds focused on one goal: your business success. It's the front five. My five biggest takeaways off the Washington football team improving to three and six with a 29-19 win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field. Takeaway number four. I've been waiting a long time to say this. Washington's defense finally had a good game this season. Yes, it finally, mercifully happened. The Washington defense delivered for the first time in nine games in the 2021 NFL regular season. And how about the timing of this? One day after the death of legendary former Washington linebacker and legendary former Washington radio analyst, Sam Huff. You know, if you believe in the football gods doing their thing, this certainly seemed to be an example of that. Sam Huff, passes on Saturday and the Washington defense rises up truly for the first time this season on Sunday. Now, two key Bucks pass catchers were inactive for this game due to injury. Receiver Antonio Brown and tight end Rob Gronkowski and receiver Chris Godwin was questionable for the game with a foot injury, uh, although he did play in the game and he did produce. He had seven receptions for 57 yards on eight targets. But understand, the Bucks had been excellent offensively. Washington on Sunday legitimately faced the number one offense in the NFL this season. The Bucks through week nine for football outsiders DVOA metric were number one in the NFL in total offense and were number one in the NFL in passing offense. The Bucks through week nine were number one in the NFL in points per game at 32.5. Tom Brady through week 9 was number 2 among qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in ESPN's total QBR and was number 1 in the NFL in both passing touchdowns and passing yards per game and yet Washington's defense came through. Washington held the Bucks to just 19 points and yes, Washington winning the time of possession battle in dominant fashion had something to do with that. Washington ended up winning the time of possession battle by 18 minutes, 16 seconds. But Washington also held the Bucks to just 4-10 on third downs. Washington held the Bucks to just 1-3 in the red zone. Washington held the Bucks to just 5.8 yards per play. The Bucs through week nine had averaged 6.3 yards per play. So Washington in this game held the Bucks to half a yard per play less than what the Bucs had been producing. I go back to the Bucks' eighth offensive drive. Took place with Washington nursing. A 23-13 lead resulted in a punt on the first snap of the fourth quarter. Sixth snap of the drive, the penultimate snap of the third quarter. Kendall Fuller tackling receiver Chris Godwin on a Tom Brady second and six shotgun completion to Godwin for no gain. Seventh snap of the drive and the final snap of the third quarter. Shaka Tony providing pressure on Tom Brady on a Brady third and six shotgun incompletion. I don't know about you, but it was on this drive that I said to myself, man, this Washington defense is truly rising up. When you consider Montez Sweat on the reserve injured list, out with his broken jaw for four to six weeks, Chase Young knocked out of the game in the first half with this apparent torn ACL. And yet Washington's defense is playing well. I mean, you think about the circumstances of this game. Bad defense throughout the season, facing an elite offense, facing the greatest quarterback ever, you're minus your top two edge rushers, one for the entire game, the other one for the bulk of the game, and yet the defense comes through. That really is something when you put it in that context. How about the job that Washington did on Tom Brady? Washington intercepted Brady twice in the first quarter, held him to just 220 yards, on 34 pass attempts, 6.47 yards per pass attempt. Yes, Brady did have two touchdown passes, but he never caught fire in this game like a lot of people thought he would, including myself. Uh, Washington's first interception, the Bucs' second offensive drive, second snap of the drive, on a second and 10 for the Bucs at their 25. William Jackson, the third, intercepted a Tom Brady shotgun pass as the football bounced out of the grasp of receiver Jalen Darden as he was turning and got hit by Cameron Curl, went into the air and then into the arms of Jackson. Yes, some puck luck on a play like that, but whatever. There's also skill on a play like that. The hit by Curl, the catch by Jackson, ensuing Washington offensive drive resulted in Joey Sly's first quarter 28-yard field goal. For a 6-0 Washington lead, Washington's second interception, the Bucks' third offensive drive. Fifth snap of the drive, Bobby McCain registered the second interception of Tom Brady in the first quarter as a Tom Brady first and 10 shotgun pass went right to McCain at midfield, and he then generated a 19-yard return. Although Duron Payne received a 15-yard taunting penalty on the play, but the ensuing Washington offensive drive resulted in the Taylor Heineke touchdown pass to DeAndre Carter. Washington intercepting Tom Brady twice in the first quarter marked the first time that Brady had been intercepted multiple times in the first quarter of a game since December 23rd, 2012. Tom Brady throwing two picks in a first quarter just doesn't happen, and yet it did happen on Sunday. Another great thing about Washington's defense in this game, Jonathan Allen. He again was a force. It is well established by now that Jonathan Allen is having a great season of having signed the big money contract extension this past summer. You know, you talk about a guy like turning it on in a contract season. Well, Jonathan Allen has already gotten his big money contract, and yet he is still turning it on, which tells you everything you need to know about Jonathan Allen, the player and the person. But so many standout moments for Jonathan Allen. In this game Bucks first offensive drive resulted in a first quarter 3 and out four snap of the drive Jonathan Allen smashed Tom Brady for a quarterback hit on a Brady third and eight shotgun incompletion. The Bucks' third offensive drive resulted in that Bobby McCain first quarter interception of Tom Brady. The third snap of the drive. How about this? Jonathan Allen stuffed running back Leonard Fournette on a third and one under center handoff run for no gain. As Allen got push on the Bucs' stud left guard Ali Marpet and then was able to disengage and make the tackle. That was such an impressive play. By Allen. Marpet is one of the best guards in the NFL, maybe is the best guard in the NFL. Allen got pushed on Marpet and then, like I said, was able to disengage and make the tackle. Uh, Buck's sixth offensive drive was the Buck's first offensive drive of the second half, resulted in a third quarter three and out. Third snap of the drive, Jonathan Allen heavily pressured Tom Brady on a third and two shotgun incompletion. There really wasn't that much bad from Washington's defense. I mean, Washington did allow Tom Brady to have two touchdown passes, uh, including the one on which Kendall Fuller got beat. uh, Brady on that Bucks ninth offensive drive, which started at the Washington 47, thanks to the Dax Milne killer fourth quarter loss fumble. Third snap of the drive, Kendall Fuller got beat by receiver Mike Evans on a Tom Brady fourth quarter, third and three, 40-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Evans. Although the Bucks kicker, Ryan Suckup, missed the ensuing extra point attempt, so Washington's lead Was 23 19. So, all right, you gave up a couple of touchdown passes by Brady. You also had that moronic penalty by William Jackson, the third. What was he thinking on this? Bucks' fifth offensive drive, eighth snap of the drive on a fourth and six for the Bucks at the Washington 47, with two seconds left in the second quarter. William Jackson III committed a face mask penalty in trying to tackle receiver Mike Evans on a Tom Brady 22-yard shotgun completion to Evans. The penalty yardage was half the distance to the goal, so the penalty yardage ended up being 13 yards, gave the Bucs the ball at the Washington 12. And even though time had expired in the first half, the Bucs got an untimed down, and the untimed down resulted in a Ryan Suckup 31-yard field goal that cut Washington's lead to 16-6. I don't know about you, but when that happened, I said to myself, all right, this is the beginning of the turnaround here for the Bucks." You know, this is the kind of thing that a bad team does, commits a dopey penalty like that. A good team capitalizes on the penalty as the Bucks did. And now Brady and the Bucks are going to steamroll Washington in the second half. But that did not happen. And takeaway number five, Washington's running game was woeful on first downs but Washington's running backs generated a number of key plays. It's a little tricky, but I want to start with this. I could not stand how often Washington ran the ball on first downs in this game, and how unproductive so many of those runs were. Uh, you look at something like Washington's fourth offensive drive it did result in Joey Sly's 29-yard field goal with 58 seconds left in the second quarter for a 16-3 Washington lead. But the 11th snap of the drive, the first snap after the first half, two-minute warning. On a first and 10 at the Bucs' 14, Antonio Gibson, an under-center handoff run from minus five yards as safety Jordan Whitehead came in unblocked to make the tackle. Washington's seventh offensive drive resulted in Antonio Gibson's first and goal, one-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run. Fifth snap of the drive, Jarrett Patterson, a first and 10 under-center handoff run, for minus three yards. Washington in this game had a number of first down runs that went for two yards or less. Drove me nuts. One of the things that analytics have revealed is how efficient early down passing is in the NFL. I did not like how much early down running Washington employed in this game. But that said, Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick made some big plays in this game. Gibson had 24 carries for 64 yards and two touchdowns and two receptions for 14 yards on two targets, but his stats don't tell nearly his entire story. So the drive of the game, the mammoth 19-play, 80-yard drive that consumed 10:26 off the clock in the fourth quarter resulted in Antonio Gibson's second touchdown run of the game, his fourth and goal, one-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run with 29 seconds left in the fourth quarter, but Gibson did a lot more than just a touchdown on that drive. Sixth snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a second and six, seven yard shotgun handoff run. Ninth snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a third and one, two yard shotgun handoff run. Fourteenth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke had a second and 11, six yard shotgun completion to Antonio Gibson. That was that completion that forced the Bucks to burn their third and final second half timeout with 3.05 left in the fourth quarter. Sixteenth snap of the drive and the snap right before The second half two-minute warning on a first and goal at the nine, Antonio Gibson, a five-yard shotgun handoff run. We had Washington's seventh offensive drive resulted in Antonio Gibson's first touchdown run of the game. His third quarter first and goal, one-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run on which Washington's offensive line pushed like maniacs in a second effort for the touchdown. What a moment that was for Washington's offensive line ensuing extra point Put Washington up 23-13. Sixth snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a second and 13, 12-yard shotgun handoff run on which Brandon Sheriff injured or re-injured a knee. Uh, Seventh snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a third and one, nine-yard shotgun handoff run. You had Washington's third offensive drive, the one that resulted in Taylor Heineke's second-quarter touchdown pass. To DeAndre Carter, first snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a very physical first and 10 five-yard under center handoff run on which he plowed right into linebacker Devin White. Third snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a third and seven, eight-yard shotgun completion to Antonio Gibson to beat the Blitz. Uh, Washington's first offensive drive resulted in Joey Sly's first quarter 46-yard field goal for a 3-0 Washington lead. Third snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a third and one, three-yard shotgun handoff run. So a number of key runs for Gibson in this game. He did have two runs that totaled minus 13 yards. I mentioned one of the runs, the other came in the first quarter during which Gibson had a second and six under center pitch run for minus eight yards. Uh, As Gibson, upon catching the football, was tackled immediately by safety Antoine Winfield Jr., who came in unblocked. But still, there was a lot to like with Antonio Gibson in this game. And then with J.D. McKissick, look, he only had two carries for four yards, had four receptions for 35 yards on four targets. Not overwhelming numbers, but how about what McKissick did on Washington's third offensive drive, the one that resulted in the Taylor Heineke second quarter touchdown pass to DeAndre Carter. Sixth snap of the drive, first snap of the second quarter, Taylor Heineke a third and 14, 11-yard shotgun completion To J.D. McKissick, who made corner Jamel Dean, miss on an attempted tackle. And then on the next snap, the seventh snap of the drive, the second snap of the second quarter, Taylor Heineke, a fourth and three, four-yard shotgun completion to J.D. McKissick. So there you go, the front five, my five biggest takeaways from the Washington football team improving to three and six with a 29-19 win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Takeaway number one, it's okay that Washington won this game. Uh, Takeaway number two, even in a win as glorious as this win over the Bucs, Washington still had a major negative development. Chase Young appears to have suffered a season-ending torn ACL. Takeaway number three, Taylor Heineke was outstanding and outplayed Tom Brady. Takeaway number four, Washington's defense finally had a good game this season. And takeaway number five, Washington's running game was woeful on first downs, but Washington's running backs generated a number of key plays. Up next, much more. On the Washington football team, including Ryan Fitzpatrick now appearing to be done for the season. A look at the performances of Washington's pass catchers in this win over the box, including the tremendous catch by Terry McLaurin late in the fourth quarter. And proper praise for Washington's new kicker, Joey Sly. Hey, Washington did not have any field goal attempts blocked in this game. What do you know? I'll get to all of that after this. Hey guys, Al Galdi here. Still plenty of time this NFL season to attend a game and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find NFL tickets, including Washington football team tickets. That's because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no fee ticket site and the only ticket site that you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. You see, TickPick got rid of all of those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge. This allows TickPick to guarantee the best prices on all of its NFL tickets. Don't believe this? Look, if you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. And so if you're looking to watch Washington live this season, get your tickets at TickPick.com slash to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets, whether you want to attend the Monday nighter against the Seahawks on November 29th, or want to make the trip to Vegas to watch Washington play at the Raiders on December 5th, or want to hit up any of Washington's five NFC East games over the final five weeks of the regular season, TickPick has you covered. Again, TickPick guarantees the best prices on all of its NFL tickets, no more of those ridiculous service fees. Visit TickPick.com slash Galdi right now to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets. That's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K dot com slash Galdi. That's TickPick.com slash Galdi.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: All right. More now on the Washington football team. Our victorious Washington football team. The four-game losing streak over. Washington gets the 3-6 and six with a 29-19 win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. So when it comes to Washington's quarterback situation, as we discussed during the front five, Taylor Heineke was really good, putting to rest, at least for now, calls for him to be benched in favor of Kyle Allen. And as I mentioned during the front five, we have Ryan Fitzpatrick news. We on Sunday morning had multiple reports that Ryan Fitzpatrick is not expected to play again this season. Now, this isn't shocking But this is worth noting. Uh, The person who broke the news, NFL insider Ian Rappaport of NFL Network and NFL.com, wrote the following. Quote, Ryan Fitzpatrick's 2021 season is expected to be over. The Washington football team's season opening starting quarterback has too long of a road back from a hip subluxation. And multiple sources say it's highly unlikely that he returns this year. Fitzpatrick, who was injured in week one and placed on injured reserve, is still dealing with swelling and pain in the hip and groin area. Sources say based on his current status, he's been focused on treatment rather than rehab and working out to get back on the football field. That part of the process has yet to begin. He has another MRI in a few weeks to check his progress. If that shows vast improvement, perhaps Fitzpatrick can begin working out again, but based on where his hip is, the belief is he won't see the field again this year, end quote. So to me, what stood out from that piece by Rappaport as much as anything is that Fitzpatrick has been focused on treatment rather than rehab and working out to get back on the football field. That part of the process has yet to begin. I mean, people, it's mid-November. And that part of the process has yet to begin off an injury that was suffered in week one of the season. Yeah, uh, barring some miracle here, Ryan Fitzpatrick is not going to play again this season. And Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to end up playing on just 16 offensive snaps for Washington this season. The guy who was supposed to be Washington's starting quarterback this season is going to end up playing on just 16 offensive snaps the entire season. Washington's top two offensive free agent acquisitions this past offseason, Fitzpatrick and Curtis Samuel, have totaled three games and 46 offensive snaps this season. It's nobody's fault that Fitzpatrick's and Samuel's season's Have been ruined by injury, at least so far in the case of Samuel. But it is remarkable. And when you tack onto that, Chase Young suffering this apparent torn ACL on Sunday, does it not sometimes feel like we're cursed? I mean, I don't believe in curses, okay? But there is an element with this team of that which can go wrong will go wrong. I mean, think now about Washington's last two major veteran quarterback acquisitions Alex Smith and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Each guy suffered a freakish but serious injury at FedEx Field in his first season with the team. How and why does that happen? Uh, I mentioned Curtis Samuel. He was inactive again on Sunday. Uh, He was inactive for a fourth consecutive game due to the groin injury from hell, the groin injury to end all groin injuries. Uh, As for Washington receivers who did play in this win, over the Bucks, Terry McLaurin, what a performance. Now, he suffered a collarbone injury in this game, exited the game, came back into the game, finished with six receptions for 59 yards on eight targets. The drive of the game, the drive of the season. Washington's ninth offensive drive, 19 plays, 80 yards, consumed a ridiculous 10 minutes, 26 seconds off the clock. Resulted in Antonio Gibson's fourth and goal, one yard shotgun handoff touchdown run with 29 seconds left in the fourth quarter for a 29 19 lead. McLaurin on this drive was so big. Fourth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, 16 yard shotgun play action completion to Terry McLaurin on a screen. And then the 15th snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a third and five, six yard shotgun completion to Terry McLaurin, who made a terrific catch despite taking a nasty shot from safety Jordan Whitehead. You talk about manning up. You talk about delivering in a big spot. You talk about taking a hit, holding on to the football, and popping right back up as McLaurin did. That was awesome. I mean, that was an adrenaline inducer. McLaurin, after that play, getting up and doing as he did And Heineke to McLaurin, they have connected a bunch. They connected in a spot that was maybe never bigger than that spot right there on Sunday. Uh, Washington's eighth offensive drive. This was the drive that resulted in the Dax Milne killer fourth quarter loss fumble. Second staff of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a second and nine, 21 yard shotgun play action completion to Terry McLaurin. Washington's first offensive drive resulted in Joey Sly's first quarter 46-yard field goal for a 3-0 Washington lead. Second snap of the drive, Taylor a second 9-8-yard shotgun completion to Terry McLaurin. The nit to pick with Terry's game would be this. Washington's second offensive drive resulted in Joey Sly's first quarter 28-yard field goal for a 6 nothing Washington lead. First snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke did throw a bit high, but the football went off the hands of a leaping Terry McLaurin, who I thought could have made the catch, but did not on what ended up being a first and 10 shotgun play action in completion on a broken play. But still, McLaurin, that huge catch on the third and five for six yards deep into the drive that resulted in Antonio Gibson's second touchdown run. Uh, can't say enough about that play. Can't say enough about that drive. DeAndre Carter, his rise continued this season. Three receptions for 56 yards and a touchdown on six targets. The touchdown catch was a thing of beauty. Washington's third offensive drive started at the Bucs 46 off the Bobby McCain first quarter interception of Tom Brady. Taylor Heineke, a second quarter, third and six, 20-yard shotgun touchdown pass to DeAndre Carter, who beat the corner, D. Delaney. Heineke threw a perfect pass, ensuing extra point, gave Washington a 13-0 lead. But Carter had other big catches in this game. Washington's first offensive drive resulted in the Joey Sly first quarter 46-yard field goal for a 3-0 Washington lead. Fourth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, 14-yard shotgun completion to DeAndre Carter. Uh, Washington's fourth offensive drive resulted in Joey Sly's 29-yard field goal with 58 seconds left in the second quarter. For a 16-3 Washington lead, first snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, the first and 10, 22-yard shotgun play action completion to DeAndre Carter on a pass that went off the hands of Buck safety Jordan Whitehead and right to Carter. Adam Humphreys, he in the game had just one reception for five yards on one target, but his one catch was a big catch. Washington's ninth offensive drive, the 19-play drive that resulted in the Antonio Gibson fourth and goal, one-yard touchdown run with 29 seconds left in the fourth quarter. 12th snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a third and four, five-yard shotgun completion to Adam Humphreys on what was a terrific throw by Heineke, a big catch by Humphreys, and Humphreys' 300th career regular season reception. So sometimes it's quality, not quantity. Uh, we certainly did not get much in the way of quantity from Adam Humphreys in this game. Haven't gotten much in the way of quantity from Adam Humphreys this season, but that was a quality play, a big play. Credit to Heineke for the throw and Humphreys for coming through with the catch. And I mentioned the Dax Milne lost fumble. I mean, I don't know what else to say other than it was a terrible play, a terrible moment, and he knew it. I mean, you you know, if you could read body language, I mean, Milne was disgusted with what happened on the play. Dax Milne, two receptions, 22 yards on two targets. And that lost fumble, uh, Washington's eighth offensive drive, Fifth snap of the drive. Milne, a killer fourth quarter loss fumble while running with the football on a Taylor Heineke third and nine, nine-yard shotgun completion to Milne. That's a thing. That was another big third-down conversion for Washington. And then Washington coughed up the football. The play resulted in the Bucks getting the ball at the Washington 47, with Washington nursing a 23-13 lead. And the ensuing Bucks offensive drive resulted in a touchdown. The Tom Brady fourth quarter, third and three, 40-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver Mike Evans, although Ryan Suckup missed the ensuing extra point attempt, so Washington's lead was at 23-19. Milne did have a big play, though, in the game. Washington's seventh offensive drive resulted in Antonio Gibson's third quarter, first and goal, one-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run. The first snap of that drive was a Taylor Heineke, first and 10, 15-yard under center play action boot completion. To Dax Milne. Also on that drive was the eighth snap of the drive, and the snap right before the touchdown, Cam Sims on a first and ten at the Bucks 14, Cam Sims drew a 13 yard pass interference penalty on corner D. Delaney. Sims had two receptions for 10 yards on two targets, but that was a big penalty that Cam Sims drew. Uh, Ricky Seals Jones got hurt in this game. He suffered a hip injury, you know it wasn't just Chase Young who got injured in this game. I mentioned Terry McLaurin getting banged up in the game. Ricky Seals-Jones got injured in the game. We'll get to the offensive line momentarily here, but Ricky Seals-Jones suffered a hip injury, so we'll have to see where he's at. Of course, Logan Thomas is still on the reserve injured list with his hamstring injury. Seals-Jones on Sunday, three receptions for 30 yards on four targets, a drop and a penalty. Washington's first offensive drive resulted in a Joey Sly first quarter 46-yard field goal for a 3 nothing Washington lead. Seventh snap of the drive in the snap right before the field goal. Ricky Sills-Jones had a drop. He allowed the football to go right through his hands on a Taylor Heineke third and four shotgun incompletion. Washington's second offensive drive resulted in Joey Sly's first quarter 28-yard field goal for a 6 nothing Washington lead. The third snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke a third and 11 13-yard shotgun completion to Ricky Seals-Jones. Washington's fourth offensive drive resulted in Joey Sly's 29-yard field goal with 58 seconds left in the second quarter. Third snap of the drive, Ricky Seals-Jones committed a first and 10 five-yard full start penalty, but the seventh snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a third and eight, nine-yard shotgun completion to Ricky Seals-Jones. And then on the 13th snap of the drive, on a third and 15 at the Bucs, 19, Taylor Heineke, an eight-yard shotgun completion to Ricky Seals-Jones who did suffer a hip injury on the play. So a lot happening with Ricky sills jones in this game. Had some big catches, but also had some boo-boos, and he got hurt. John Bates, three receptions, 25 yards on three targets. Did have a near fumble in the game, uh, but he also had a third-and-four 18-yard reception on a Taylor Heineke shotgun pass on the drive that resulted in the Antonio Gibson third-quarter first-and-goal one-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run. And like I said, yet had a bunch of guys getting hurt in this game. Chase Young, Terry McLaurin, Ricky souls jones Brandon Sheriff returned from a four-game absence that was caused by a knee injury, but then either re-injured the knee or suffered a new knee injury. So he may be out again. Uh, look, not to beat up on a guy while he may be hurt again, but there is no way that Washington should pay big money to Sheriff as a free agent this coming offseason. This guy gets hurt way too much. Uh, Cornelius Lucas was back. He returned from a one-game absence that was caused by illness. And interestingly, he was Washington's starting right tackle, not Samuel Cosme. Cosme was available only in an emergency situation of having missed the three previous games due to an ankle injury. So Washington's starting offensive line from left to right. Charles Leno Jr., Eric Flowers, Tyler Larson. Remember, Chase Rulier is on the reserve injured list now. Brandon Sheriff and Cornelius Lucas. And oh, Yeah. The new kicker for the Washington football team in this win over the Bucks, Joey Sly, well done in his first game as Washington's kicker. 3 of 3 on field goals and 2 of 2 on extra points. Uh, Sly had a first quarter 46-yard field goal For a 3-0 Washington lead, had a first quarter 28-yard field goal for a 6-0 Washington lead and had a 29-yard field goal with 58 seconds left in the second quarter for a 16-3 Washington lead. And don't take for granted that Sly went 2-2 on his extra point attempts because Joey Sly in this 2021 regular season had been the Houston Texans kicker for three games in September and the San Francisco 49ers kicker for three games in October. And Sly, over those six total games had gone just nine of 12 on extra points, including going just two of four on extra points over his three games with the 49ers in October. But Sly on Sunday, a perfect two of two on his extra points and more importantly, three of three on his field goals. And yes, no field goal attempts for Washington were blocked in this game. Thank goodness. Lots more on the Washington football team off this win over the Bucs throughout the week on this podcast, which covers the Washington football team like no other podcast or show in DC. But we now move to some non Washington football team items from your DC sports weekend. All right, so the Washington football team beat Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field. On Sunday afternoon, and the Capitals beat Sidney Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins at Capitol One Arena on Sunday night. As the great DC sports philosopher Ice Cube said back in the day, I gotta say, it was a good day. Uh, Caps improved to 9 2 4 with a 6 1 smashing of the Penguins as the Caps ruined Sidney Crosby's return from a five game absence caused by him being an NHL COVID-19 protocol. Uh, Sorry, said the kid. Uh, This was off a 4-3 Caps win at the Blue Jackets on Friday night. Very good weekend for the Caps, who have won four consecutive games and have just two regulation losses in 15 games this season. Despite missing a number of key players, I don't think that this point can be emphasized enough the many high-level players who the Caps have been without for so much of this season. I mean, Nicholas Backstrom has yet to play this season. Nicholas Backstrom hasn't played in a single game for the Caps this season. Backstrom has been out since the start of Capitals training camp due to ongoing rehabilitation on his hip. TJ Oshie has been out due to a lower body injury that was suffered in a 3-2 overtime loss to the Detroit Red Wings at Capital One Arena on October 27th. Anthony Mantha has been out due to shoulder surgery that he underwent on November 5th for an injury that was suffered in a 5-4 overtime loss at the Florida Panthers on November 4th. Uh, Nick Dowd is out now due to a lower body injury that was suffered in a 5-3 win over the Buffalo Sabres at Capital One Arena on November 8th. And Dowd, in that overtime loss at the Panthers on November 4th, returned off having missed three of the previous four games due to a lower body injury. Uh, By the way, we had Nick Dowd news on Sunday. The Caps on Sunday announced the resigning of Nick Dowd to a three-year contract extension with an average annual value of $1.3 million. Caps have been up against it when it comes to the salary cap for a few years now. So anything that the Caps can do to keep someone like Dowd, you like. Nick Dowd, a valuable fourth line center, very good on face-offs. Everybody likes the guy so that the Caps were able to get a deal done here is good. And uh, Dowd is out now due to injury, but Dowd uh, will be with the Caps for the foreseeable future. Uh, Vitek Vanacek was back for the Caps on Sunday night. He was a cap starting goaltender for the first time in three games of having dealt with some sort of an ailment. Uh, Vanacek stopped 24 of the 25 shots on goal that he faced. A lot to like from the Caps. In these two wins over the weekend. So that Caps win at the Blue Jackets on Friday night, that win came despite the game being the second game in a set of back-to-back road games for the Caps, whereas the game was the Blue Jackets' first game since the previous Saturday, November 6th. So here you had the Caps playing the second game in a set of back-to-back road games, yet the Blue Jackets playing for the first time in nearly a week, and yet the Caps won the game. Now, it wasn't necessarily smooth sailing. Caps for natural stat trick in the game had just two high-danger five-on-five shot attempts to the Blue Jackets, 13, including just one to the Blue Jackets, 11, over the first two periods. But again, the Caps had a right to be off, and the Caps won the game. That's what matters the most. The Caps' starting goaltender in that game, Ilya Samsonov, he stopped 26 of the 29 shots on goal that he faced. He got tested in this game. Per natural stat trick, Samsonov faced 11 high-danger shots on goal and stopped nine of them. The Caps did win the puck possession battle in the route of the Penguins on Sunday night. Caps per natural stat trick had 51 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Penguins 41, including 13 5-on-5 high-danger shot attempts to the Penguins 7 and 11 five-on-five high-danger shot attempts to the Penguins, too, over the final two periods. Uh, Now, there was perhaps some fatigue going on for Pittsburgh in this game. This was the Penguins' third game in four days, but whatever. I mean, the Caps dealt with a similar situation on Friday night. Caps won that game. The Penguins got demolished in this game on Sunday evening. Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his post-game session with reporters. It, It was a good game for
0: us. Pittsburgh had a tough, tough schedule, and um, yet they still play hard. They still, um, you know, they, they, they're always pushing on the puck and pushing on bodies. And so uh, we knew what kind of game we were in for, and I thought our guys responded really well and handled it really well. So it was, uh, it was a good game. I thought it got better as it went on. And that might be the scheduling for them, but um the first period, you know, was was back and forth and a lot of skating, a lot of battles, and then I thought in the second and third, you know, we started to push a little more.
1: Lots of physicality from the caps in these two wins over the weekend. The caps in the win at the Blue Jackets on Friday night had 27 hits to the Blue Jackets 12. The Caps And their route of the Penguins at Capital One Arena on Sunday night had 27 hits to the Penguins' 18. So the Caps in these two wins of the weekend, a total of 54 hits to opponents' 30. And a big reason for this, Garnett Hathaway. I just mentioned Nick Dowd your fourth-line center. Garnett Hathaway is a fourth-line forward, and he had a monster weekend. Hathaway, in the win at the Blue Jackets, scored two second-period even-strength goals. What were his first two goals of the season and finished with a game-high seven hits. Hathaway, in the win over the Penguins, an even-strength goal, a secondary assist, a game-high six shots on goal, and a game-high tying. Five hits. Alex Ovechkin had a good weekend. Ovi in the win at the Blue Jackets had an even-strength goal, a secondary assist, a game-high tying four shots on goal, and a game-high tying, seven shot attempts. Uh, Ovechkin's goal, an even-strength goal, 10-19 into the first period as he sent a shot as he was floating into the left circle, into the net. Uh, The goal was Ovechkin's 742nd career regular season NHL goal, moving him past Brett Hull for number four on the NHL's all-time list. And Ovechkin's secondary assist, Came on Garnett Hathaway's second even-strand goal in the second period as Ovi poked the puck away from Jacob Voracek against the boards near the right point in the Caps' defensive zone. Lars Eller then got the puck along the boards in the neutral zone, skated the puck along the boards, and passed the puck to Hathaway as he skated past the blue line into the Caps' offensive zone. And Hathaway then scored the goal on a one-on-none breakaway on a wrister in the slot but that secondary assist for Ovechkin that's a winning play and that's not a play that you're necessarily going to get from all high level scorers but Ovi doing some dirty work again poking the puck away from Jacob Voracek to get the sequence going it just speaks to the season that Ovechkin is having it speaks to the way that Ovechkin is playing the game he's been so good Ovi in the win over the Penguins had just one shot on goal and just four total shots but he also had two assists And three hits. Alex Ovechkin now, nine multi point games in 15 games on the season. He really has been great. Uh, Also, standing out in the win over the Penguins defenseman, Martin Fehervari. Uh, He had a first period shorthanded goal and had a very good defensive game. Uh, Also, had an incident with Sidney Crosby. Uh, Fehervari got tossed to the ice in nasty fashion by Sid the Kid, who was not penalized for the act, although Crosby did receive a third-period cross-checking penalty. But great stuff from the Caps right now. Next up for them, a four-game trip out west, starting with a game at the Anaheim Ducks, Tuesday night at 10. The Ducks on Sunday night won their seventh consecutive game, of 5-1 victory over the Vancouver Canucks. All right, let's talk Wizards. I said... Let's talk Wizards. The damn Washington Wizards. Yes, thank you, Stephen A. Uh, the Wizards, they will play on Monday night. They'll be home to the New Orleans Pelicans at 7. And the Wizards will host the Pelicans, a.k.a. the Pels, while being 9-3 and three, and with a four-game winning streak, which is the longest current winning streak in the Eastern Conference. The Wizards' terrific start to their season continued over the weekend, Wiz improved to nine and three with a 104-92 win at the Orlando Magic on Saturday night. This was a win for the Wizards without Bradley Beal. Uh, he did not play off the death of a grandmother. You may recall that Beal in the Wizards' previous game, the 97-94 win at the Cleveland Cavaliers, this past Wednesday night had a rough game. Uh, went just one of five on threes, just three of 14 and twos finished with just 13 points committed four turnovers and 37-21 as a starter well we learned after the game that Beale was dealing with the death of a grandmother he did not play at the magic on Saturday night and yet the Wizards won on Saturday night also the Wizards won on Saturday night despite remaining without Dobby spurtons he did not play at For a fifth consecutive game due to a left ankle sprain, the Wizards also remained without Rui Hachimura, who has yet to play this season due to personal reasons, and the Wizards remained without Thomas Bryant, who has yet to play this season due to recovering from a partially torn left ACL that was suffered this past January. And yet, the Wizards never trailed after the first quarter, and in the fourth quarter led by as many as 25 points. And I get that the Magic is not a great team, but still, this was an impressive win for the Wizards. You know, the Wizards trailed in the first quarter 18-14. They then exploded for a 20-0 run that gave the Wiz a 34-18 lead in the second quarter. Wizards' defense was excellent again. Wizards held the Magic to just 92 points, including just 37 points in the first half. Wizards held the Magic to 32.5% shooting on threes, 13 of 40. Wizards held the Magic to just 18 of 52 shooting on twos. The Wizards went just 12 of 35 on threes, but did go 30 of 49 on twos. and That, in a lot of ways, was the difference in the game. The Wizards outscored the Magic in the paint 42-26, and a big reason for that was Montrezl Harrell. Uh, he was a force again. He, to me, has been the Wizards MVP so far this season, there is so much to like about the job that Montrez Harrell has done as a wizard so far this season. Harrell, in this win at the Magic, in just 20 minutes, 56 seconds off the bench, had 20 points on 9 of 13 shooting, seven assists versus no turnovers, and six rebounds. So it's not just that the guy gave you efficient scoring, it's not just that the guy rebounded, it's that the guy was a playmaker. Seven assists. Versus no turnovers. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie went just 3-9 on threes, but he also went 7-9 on twos and finished with 23 points, 11 rebounds, and 6 assists versus 3 turnovers and 31-20 as a starter. Kyle Kuzma went just 3-10 on threes and just 2-4 on free throws, but he also went 3-4 on twos, finished with 17 points, 10 rebounds, and 2 blocks in 34-39 as a starter. And by the way, while Kuzma only went 3-10 on threes, all three of Kuzma's main threes came during a third-quarter stretch in which he erupted. A third-quarter stretch of less than two minutes in which Kuzma scored 11 consecutive points for the Wizards. So this was another win for the Wizards in which the acquisitions from that five-team mega trade this past August paid off. Montrez Harrell, Spencer Dinwiddie, Kyle Kuzma. You cannot say enough about the job that Wizards general manager Tommy Shepard did in turning John Wall and to protect the first-round pick into first one season of Russell Westbrook. And now, Montrez Harrell, Spencer Dinwiddie, Kyle Kuzma, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, Aaron Holiday, and Isaiah Todd. Now, it's not that simple because the Wizards also dealt Chandler Hutchison a bunch of second-round picks and cash considerations. But you get the idea. Shepard turned a terrible situation. The John Wall Supermax contract extension into a bunch of viable players, and that, in conjunction with the great job that new head coach Wes Unsell Jr. is doing in getting the Wizards to play defense, are why the Wiz are 9-3, and despite the Wiz having missed so many key players at various points this season. Look, the Wizards now are 2-0 and without Bradley Beal this season. Uh, Also, I do want to give props to Denny Avdia Avdia in the win at the Magic on Saturday night in just 18 minutes, 15 seconds off the bench, two or three on threes, finished with eight points, six rebounds, and a game-best plus-minus rating of plus 22. Avdia has been a very efficient player for the Wizards so far this season, and Avdia has been a major part of the Wizards' very good defense so far this season. Denny Avdia over the Wizards' first 12 games is number one among qualified Wizards in defensive rating at 94.7. Defensive rating is points allowed by the team per 100 possessions with the player on the court per NBA.com. Denny Avdia, number one on this improved Wizards defensive team in defensive rating at 94.7. Don't lose sight of this. Avdia is coming along quite nicely off the Wizards having taken him with that number nine pick in the 2020 NBA draft out of Israel. And he's still so young, right? He's just 20. But Avdia, the Wizraeli, is doing a nice job, just like the Wizards as a whole. We move now to college football week 11, in which, oh by the way, Goldilocks went 3-0. The record on the season now, 21-15, six games above 500. We call that profitable, people, as my close personal friend, Calvin Brodus Jr., a.k.a. Snoop Dogg, once said, Make money, money, make money, money, money. Exactly, Snoop. Thank you. Anyway, tough losses for Maryland and Virginia, but a win for Virginia Tech. Yes, the Fighting Fuentes got themselves a victory over the weekend. We begin, though, with the Terrapins, who fell to 5-5. Five five, a 40-21 loss at number 7 Michigan State on Saturday. The Terps defense, shall we say, struggled. Uh, the Terps allowed Michigan State to go 8-13, of 13 on third downs, Terps allowed Michigan State quarterback Peyton Thorne to average 9.26 yards per pass attempt and to have four touchdown passes versus one interception. And the interception was an interception in the end zone on the final snap of the first half. Thorne's first touchdown pass was a 52 yard bomb on a flea flicker on the game's first offensive drive. Awful moment for Maryland right there. Uh, Terps did hold Michigan State stud running back, Kenneth Walker, the third to 4.8 yards per carry. That's actually two yards less than his yards per carry for the season entering the game. Uh, Walker entered the game averaging 6.8 yards per carry. Terps did hold Walker to 4.8 yards per carry. So I guess that's a win, but Kenneth Walker third, still finished with 30 carries for 143 yards and two touchdowns. So the win uh, was relative. Uh, as for Maryland's offense, Terps quarterback Talia Tungabailoa, very mixed game. Uh, the bad for Talia, he threw a killer Red zone interception, which came on a first and 10 at the Michigan State 16 on the first offensive drive of the second half with the Terps trailing 27-14. Maryland was in prime position to make the game a one-score game and instead to Talia through. That killer red zone interception. Uh Talia did throw for 350 yards, but he threw for the 350 on 48 pass attempts. So that works out to just a 7.29 yards per pass attempt. Talia took four sacks, including a sack strip, and committed three second half intentional grounding penalties. And Talia quarterback to Maryland offense that went to three of thirteen. On third down. So that was the bad. There were positives for Talia in this game. He had two first and 10, 32 yard touchdown passes to tight end Chigozem Okonkwo, who finished with eight receptions for 112 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Talia had a good thing going as well with receiver Rakim Jarrett, who had 10 receptions for 105 yards. And Talia did have a big run, a good late first quarter, third and three, 45 yard shotgun run down the left sideline. Head coach Mike Loxley during his game press conference.
2: Yeah, this is uh, the second week in a row where we've, you know, I thought in the second half where we had some opportunities uh, to cut it to a one possession game and to kind of keep it right there in in the hip pocket to give ourselves a chance late in the game. But, uh, you know, our execution, you know, the one that comes to mind is the interception a couple plays before it. From a detail standpoint, we had our outside receiver didn't flatten off the route in the end zone. Our quarterback had a misread. So to me, those are the things where when I talk about our attention to detail, it's going to be really important for our players, especially when you get it down into the red zone area, that we do it exactly how we're coached to do it. And, and again, you know, the second week in a row that our red zone offense uh, didn't help us in, in, in terms of finishing with touchdowns. You know, to me, Leah uh, has continued to execute in between the twenties, but we've got to get everybody inside the twenty. Once we get it in the red area, that's where we have to have a really uh, high amount of uh, attention and detail to our execution. So. Again, we made plays from the 20 to the 20, but it's going to be really important if you want to win against quality, ranked opponents like Michigan State, that when we get it down in there, we got to come away with touchdowns.
1: Yes, you do. Also for the Terps in this loss at Michigan State on Saturday, 13 accepted penalties for 93 yards. The Terps constantly hurt themselves this season, and that happened again in this game. So for the Terps now, two regular season games left, two more chances to get to six wins, uh, home to number six Michigan this Saturday afternoon at 3.30, and then at Rutgers on Saturday, November 27th. Already at six wins is Virginia, but Wahoo Wah now has lost two consecutive games. Cavaliers fell to six and four, a 28-3, lost to number nine Notre Dame at Scott Stadium in Charlottesville on Saturday night as Cavs quarterback Brennan Armstrong did not play uh, this was the big question going into the game. Would Armstrong, who was having a great season, play off having suffered a rib injury in the Cavs' previous game, a 66-49 loss at then number 25 BYU on October 30th? Well, Armstrong did not play, and so true freshman Jay Wolfolk was the Cavs' starting quarterback. He became the first true freshman to start at quarterback for Virginia since 1977, it had been a minute since Virginia had started a true freshman at quarterback, and the results were not good. Uh, Wolfolk went just 18-33 for just 196 yards. That's 5.94 yards per pass attempt. Woolfolk had no touchdown passes versus two interceptions. Wolfolk took seven sacks, and Wolfolk quarterback to Cavs offense, and scored just three points and went just 5-14 on third downs. Look, I don't want to kill Jay Wolfolk. This was a really tough spot. First collegiate start as a true freshman, facing number nine Notre Dame, which has a good defense in primetime. Like, there was a lot working against Jay Wolfolk in this game. Also, working against him, by the way, was that the Wahoos were without running back Wayne Papa. Uh, he did not play, so that did not help out the cause of Jay Wolfolk. The who's leading rusher ended up being running back Mike Hollins, who had nine carries for 44 yards, whose receiver Keaton Thompson had nine receptions for 110 yards. UVA head coach Bronco Mendenhall during his postgame press conference on Jay Wolfolk's performance.
2: I love Jay Wolfolk and I, I thought he handled uh, tonight um, on par with being a first start against the top 10 team um, replacing I think the best quarterback in the country and our team right also saw what we look like uh, and how they have to step up um with that, uh, the difference between Brennan and Jay. Brent, or Jay's got a bright, bright future. I really liked uh, the way Mike Collins was battling in the run game, Keaton. And so those are the kind of efforts around Jay that we would have needed more sooner. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought he, Jay, I'm talking about specifically, uh, did a nice job. I think Notre Dame's good on defense. They gave him a lot of looks and pressure um, and got to him, right, which the pr- the protection has to hold better. Um, but. Yeah, I thought it was a solid start for him. All right.
1: As for UVA's defense, it actually was not as awful as it had been, but UVA's defense still had problems. Uh, UVA allowed Notre Dame to go 7 of 11 on third downs. UVA did hold Notre Dame quarterback Jack Cohn to just 132 yards on 20 pass attempts. That's just 6.6 yards per pass attempt. But Cohn did go 15 of 20 and had three touchdown passes versus one interception. And UVA had no sacks in the game. Uh, UVA allowed Notre Dame to run the ball very well, as well. Uh, Notre Dame ended up totaling 38 carries for 249 yards. That's 6.55 yards per carry and a touchdown. Cavs have two regular season games left, and they are two big ones. At number 21, Pitt, this Saturday afternoon at 3.30, and then home to Virginia Tech on Saturday, November 27th, Pitt leads the ACC's Coastal Division, but the Cavs can still win the ACC Coastal Division. Cavs will win the Coastal and get a spot in the ACC Championship game if they win their final two regular season games. But the big question, of course, is what is the status of Brennan Armstrong? Uh, Here was Bronco during his postgame press conference on whether he could tell us anything about Armstrong's availability for this Saturday afternoon's big game at Pitt.
2: No, I I can't. um, Day by day, by day, by day, by minute, by minute, by second, by second.
1: Okay, so we'll just have to wait and see about the status of Brennan Armstrong. But what a quarterback duel that game for Virginia at Pitt could be this Saturday afternoon. Brennan Armstrong versus Kenny Pickett. Well, speaking of injured quarterbacks, Virginia Tech's injured quarterback played on Saturday, and he was great as we had a rare, stress-free, feel-good Saturday for the Hokies this season. Virginia Tech improved to 5-5, a 48-17 blowout of lowly Duke at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg on Saturday. This was the Hokies' final home game of the season, and they smashed what is a terrible Duke team. Duke fell to 0-6 in the ACC. Look, this game does nothing to change the outlook on Hokies head coach Justin Fuente. He, to me, still is fired coach coaching but this was a dominant offensive performance. I mean, let me give Fuente and the Hokies credit. Tech scored 48 points, put up 573 total net yards of offense, and averaged 9.7 yards per play. And the Hokies starting quarterback, yes, was Braxton Burmeister. Despite him having left Tech's previous game, that 17-3 loss at Boston College on November 5th due to injury. Burmeister and in this smashing of Duke, 9 of 15. But for 215 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. He took no sacks. Burmeister averaged 14.33 yards per pass attempt. And he had nine carries for 71 yards as the Hokies ran the ball exceptionally well. Hokies totaled 41 carries for 297 yards. That's 7.24 yards per carry and two touchdowns. Big game for Hokies running back Raheem Blackshear, 12 carries, 117 yards, and a touchdown. Hokies running back Keyshawn King had a good game, two nine carries, 90 yards, and a touchdown. The guy who had been really good for Virginia Tech recently in terms of rushing uh, actually did not have a great game. Hokies running back Malachi Thomas, seven carries for just 10 yards. Uh, also playing on Saturday was Hokies receiver Trey Turner. Uh, he played off having missed That loss at Boston College due to injury, Turner had one reception for 29 yards and two carries for eight yards. And Hokies receiver Tavion Robinson, four receptions for 78 yards and three punt returns for 73 yards, including a third quarter 24-yard punt return and a fourth quarter 43 yard punt return. We have not talked about this, but Tavion has been one of the better punt returners in college football this season. Tavion through week 11 is number one in the FBS in punt return yards at 329 and is number two among qualified punt returners in the FBS and yards per punt return at 15. Two regular season games left for the Hokies at Miami this Saturday night at 730 and at Virginia on Saturday, November 27th. And let's talk some college basketball before we call it a show. We had Maryland and Georgetown playing at the same time on Saturday afternoon. Each team got tested big time, but only one team won. Uh, That team was number 21 Maryland, which improved to 3-0, a 68-57 win over Vermont at Xfinity Center in College Park on Saturday afternoon. Second consecutive game for the Terrapins in which they got a scare from a lesser opponent. Uh, the Terps in their 71-64 win over George Washington in College Park this past Thursday night, led by just two points, 66-64, with a little more than two minutes left in the second half, but ended the game on a 5-0 run. Well, the Terps on Saturday afternoon trailed Vermont by seven early in the second half at 39-32, but then won the rest of the game 36 18. Vermont is no joke. Vermont is a veteran team that started a graduate student and four seniors. I mean, you talk about experience, Vermont has that. Uh, one of those experienced players, graduate student Ben Shungu, scored a career high 27 points, including 20 in the first half. He for the game went four of six on threes. And Turps head coach Mark Turgeon, during his postgame press conference, called Vermont's head coach John Becker, quote, one of the best coaches in the country, end quote. Uh, Turgeon's starting five for a third time in three games were Rhode Island transfer and point guard Fats Russell, Eric Ayala, Hakeem Hart, Dante Scott, and Georgetown transfer the 6'11 Nigerian Kudus Wahab. 6'8 freshman James Grand the third consensus four-star recruit Adam Milwaukee, was not with the Terps for a second consecutive game due to a violation of team rules. The Terps beat Vermont despite going to six of 27 on threes. The Terps' three-point shooting so far this season has been brutal. Uh, the Terps in that win over George Washington went just 3 of 20 on threes. So Maryland is 3-0 and despite over the team's last two games having gone a mere 9 of 47 on threes. But the Terps in this win over Vermont rose up defensively. In fact, Turgeon, during his post-game press conference, said that the Terps over the last 10 minutes of the game were, quote, as good as one of my teams has ever played defensively, end quote. Uh, Terps in the second half held Vermont to just 4 of 20 on twos, of having allowed Vermont in the first half to shoot 10 of 18 on twos. Terps for the game held Vermont to just 7 of 22 on threes. One thing you have to give Mark Turgeon credit for, he consistently coaches up his team's to be good defensively. And Maryland brought the defense, especially as this game against Vermont went on. Uh, Eric Ayala and Fats Russell, each scored 22 points for the Terps. Uh, Ayala and Russell combined for 44 of the Terps, 68 points. Ayala went just 2 of 8 on threes, but he went 5 of 10 on twos and 6 of 6 on free throws, finished with 22 points in 36 minutes as a starter. Uh, Fats Russell, just 2 of 8 on threes, just 6 and 9 on free throws, but he went 5 of 8 on twos, finished with 22 points, 5 rebounds, 2 assists, Versus one turnover in 35 minutes as a starter. Dante Scott struggled on threes. 0 of 0-5. And he scored just four points in 34 minutes as a starter. But he did have eight rebounds, three blocks, and three assists. Versus one turnover. And Kudus Wahab played for just 23 minutes as a starter. Only committed one foul. So it's not like he was in foul trouble. Uh, he finished with six points on three of four. Shooting eight rebounds and two blocks. But the Terps are 3-0. and uh, Next up for them, home to George Mason. Wednesday night, at 7. Meantime, Georgetown, how about what happened with the Hoyas? A season opening 69-60 loss to Dartmouth at Capital One Arena on Saturday afternoon. The Hoyas trailed by 16 points at the half at 37-31, began the second half on a 29-11 run to take a 50-48 lead, but then got outscored the rest of the game 21 10. Bad defense has been a problem for Georgetown under head coach Patrick Ewing and bad defense was a problem for the Hoyas in this game. The Hoyas allowed Dartmouth to go 16 of 38 on threes. Hoyas went just 8 of 23 on threes. Uh, Georgetown was missing a key player. The seven-foot Nigerian Timothy Igoefe did not play due to a concussion and that was suffered in practice. And so, Patrick starting five or point guard Dante Harris, six five, five star freshman Aminu Muhammad, graduate student Donald Carey, Caden Rice, who's a graduate transfer from the Citadel, and seven footer Malcolm Wilson. Uh, Aminu Muhammad in his Georgetown debut, a much anticipated debut, one of four on threes, seven of 11 on twos, finished with 17 points, six rebounds, two assists versus four turnovers in 33 minutes as a starter. Point guard Dante Harris is one of three on threes and just two of 10 on twos, although he finished with five assists versus no turnovers, three steals and four rebounds in 33 minutes as a starter. But the game basically came down to three-point shooting. Georgetown did not do a good enough job of defending the three, did not do a good enough job of making threes. And Dartmouth, 16 of 38 on threes. Hoyas, 8 of 23 on threes. And Georgetown ends up losing to Dartmouth And in rather decisive fashion, look, we know that early season upsets happen in college basketball a lot, but clearly this was not a good loss for Georgetown, given that the program is trying to take another step forward off that stunning Big East tournament title last season, right? Hoyas winning the 2021 Big East tournament, despite being its number eight seed, Hoyas winning four games in four days to win the tournament. One of the big questions for this Georgetown season is, was that Big East tournament title last season A sign of the program growing and getting back to where it once was? Or was that Big East tournament title last season simply a fluke? Because remember, the Hoyas then got crushed in the NCAA tournament. So to whatever extent momentum exists, uh, the momentum evaporated come the NCAA tournament for Georgetown last season. Number 12-seeded Hoyas in the NCAA tournament lost to five-seeded Colorado 96-73 at Butler's Hinkle Fieldhouse in the first round, the round of 64 of the 2021 NCAA tournament next up for Georgetown home to American Tuesday night at 8 30. all right that will do it for you and me for now keep the feedback coming you can tweet me at Algaldi you can email me the algaldi podcast at yahoo.com Tuesday show episode 188 will feature much more on the Washington football team it improving to three and six with this stunning. 29 19 win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. We'll have Rod Rivera's day after the game press conference on Monday to go through a lot of things to be thinking about off this victory, including, of course, Chase Young and whether he, in fact, is done for the season. With a torn ACL. Also, a post-game Monday night's game for the Wizards. which will be at home to the New Orleans Pelicans Monday night at seven. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday.
0: Hey, that tells me what you guys are capable of. You just measured yourself to Goliath. All right, you just measured yourself and you found out who you are and what you're capable of. I'll tell you what. I've been waiting to say this to you. Victory Monday!